TNT. As we get ready for some NBA action, it is WCW Monday Nitro Live. And we have got another hot one here on the beach tonight. Oh yeah, I'm Eric Bischoff, along with Bobby the Brain Heenan, Steve Michael McMichael, and Pepe the Sailor Man. What's that about? Of course, of course, my friend. He heard that a, a, a sailor can get lucky here in Daytona Beach. Well, uh, Pepe is certainly dressed for the occasion. Bobby Heenan, we have got a world title match on deck here tonight. Lex Luger asked for it last weekend. He's got it. He's going to test the Giants. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week -week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, as always, struggling to choke down some jerky before he has to talk, is Dave Amontorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? You know, I want to say I'm doing good, but I am a little bit pessimistic. Because last week we had a great episode of Nitro. Yeah. Um, we both were going to be put it into the our Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And it tends to happen that the next week just falls completely flat. Um, hopefully it's not the case with this one. We'll kind of like see how it goes. But, I mean, last week was just like so everything like just hit on every cylinder. So you just kind of... <laughs> kind of like want to hold your breath and see how this one goes <laughs> well we'll see what happens here on the may 6 1996 episode of nitro where we are emanating live from the ocean center in daytona beach florida in front of 7,000 fans 3,200 of whom paid for a total gate of just under forty thousand dollars uh, before we get into all the details of this week's show i do want to remind you that you can find us at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. You can find us at piledriverwrestling.net in the OSW podcast section some weeks. And you can <laughs> always find us on the Freakin' Awesome Network <laughs> at freakinawesomenetwork.net. Uh, now, what did you say? What was the, the gate as far as uh, financial was concerned? Forty near Just under 40000 Okay. I would just I just wanted to, to point it out because um, at this point about a month ago was the most recent uh, WWE WrestleMania, yeah, which had the highest gate in wrestling history or in sports history at seventeen million dollars. Wow! And that's just for people coming into the show. Yeah. And as you uh, as maybe you, people read that like now just to be clear, you're talking about 2016 WrestleMania because yes. when you say a few weeks ago. Uh, sometimes, like when I say a few weeks ago here on the podcast, I'm keeping kayfabe. Oh, okay. Y you are you're hopping out of our time machine. Yeah. Uh, so I'm shooting right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm straight shooting. And also, you know, we say a few weeks ago, uh, and that's true when we're recording this. By the time everyone hears this, yeah. WrestleMania will be a fucking month and a half ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I decided it was. I mean, like that is nuts, though. Yeah. <laughs> just. All that money just for people showing up, and that's not even like merchandise or or pay per view sales or something like that. Yeah, so that's crazy. that's not even how much I paid a neighborhood child to come turn it off after Roman Reigns won. <laughs> so I was too sad to get off my couch. 
All right. Well, why don't we keep it a little bit lighter <laughs> and talk about Nitro from 20 years ago. All right. As we open up, we start on an aerial shot of Daytona Beach as Bischoff plugs the NBA playoffs, which are again coming after Nitro. Uh, this week's show once again starting an hour early. Uh, Pepe is dressed as a sailor this week as he heard that a sailor can get lucky on Daytona Beach. <laughs> uh, you know it's bullshit like this that caused Congress to pass the Stolen Valor Act of 2003, Pepe. You didn't earn the right to wear that uniform. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> the world title will be on the line tonight as Lex Luger takes on our new champion, the Giant. Uh, this was actually supposed to take place on Saturday night, but Luger showed up late claiming car trouble. Uh, Bischoff asked Bobby for his opinion, but the brain's mic isn't on. Uh, You can kind of hear what he's saying through Bischoff's mic because he's just, you know, yelling at the top of his lungs. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also, since you you tend to be the the Saturday night guru of us two... What what was the res- what happened with that telematch on Saturday night? Did they did he have a replacement or did they just not have a match? Do I you know? believe he had a replacement and I forget who it was. I didn't actually watch that Saturday night. I did watch okay. most of the next weeks. Okay. Um. So that's a uh, there was a replacement match, but I forget who it was. Okay. But it was pro- someone that it wasn't like Sting. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> Going back to our new champion, there was something that I I didn't get out there last week, uh, that I found in my research. Uh, I just wanted to read this. This is from Ric Flair's book. Okay. Um, to Be the Man. That's the name of it. Okay. Uh, and this is, he's talking about losing the title to the Giant here. In fact, I was starting to feel like Randy and I had a good feud going. For whatever reason, Hogan wasn't in Savage's ear during this period, uh, probably because Hogan was gone. Right. right? So, <laughs> uh, And in the ring, Randy was the performer I had respected in the past. The fans were interested. I was actually looking forward to dropping the title to him one more time. Before that could happen, though, I was ordered to lose the championship to the giant, Paul White, later known as the big show in WWE. I was happy to do the favor for Paul because he's a nice guy, but it was stupid to prematurely end my series with Savage. What happened was that I had missed a show in Little Rock, Arkansas, because I had taken my son Reed to compete in an amateur wrestling tournament in Columbus, Ohio. When I got to the airport, the only flight to Little Rock was canceled. This was probably the second show I'd missed in 25 years. Still, the company had to punish me, so on April 26, 1996, the Giant became WCW champion at Nitro in Albany, Georgia. Hmm. So, you know, we were kind of wondering why uh, the Giant would pick up the belt when the hottest thing going right now is the Nature Boy and Savage. Yeah. Uh, So I guess there's your answer. Yeah, I mean, and I, I mean, the one thing I would say is I feel like that the Flair-Savage feud doesn't really need the title to make it work. That's true, but it had the title, and just to have the title exit mid-feud is kind of strange. Yeah, okay. No, I I get that. I just, personally, at this point, I I really felt like that the Giant kind of earned himself a title reign, especially with the the BS way that they kind of, like, gave him the title for a little bit. The way that he just, like, Hogan just kind of, like, took a big dump on his, like, debut and stuff like that. And he has, like, shown in the recent weeks that he's really progressing. Maybe not to the point where he would totally be, like, their number one guy, but I feel like a run with the belt was kind of like he he earned his stripes at this point. Uh, Bobby, as I mentioned, he's he's raving and ranting uh, his normal opening show, you know, kind of thoughts with his mic not working. Although you can hear him say that uh, Luger has a chance as long as he doesn't try to put the giant in the stretch rack. (laughs) Sure. The crowd is hot, and uh, they've got a weasel chant going as Bischoff hypes uh, the Macho Man being on the show and still being totally insane. 
Also, Jushin Thunder Liger will be back on Nitro for the first time since December to take on Dean Malenko, who also hasn't appeared on Nitro in quite some time. Sting will be wrestling Lord Steven Regal, who is all over Nitro lately, and, uh, you know, that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. Yep, absolutely. Our first match, though, is Hugh Morris versus the Macho Man Randy Savage, and here with all the action is our own Dave Amendorp. All right. Uh, well, as Hugh Morris has introduced, uh, Eric Bischoff starts talking about this upcoming new pay-per-view called Hog Wild, which is going to be in Sturgis, South Dakota at the beginning of August. And he said we'll have 250,000 of your favorite bikers and you, <laughs> in which I thought about. I couldn't even name like two or three of my favorite <laughs> bikers, let alone 250,000 of them. It's, I don't know how much, I mean, surely um, anyone listening to this who was always a WCW fan is going to be familiar a little bit with the Hog Wild, uh, later renamed Road Wild after Harley Davidson uh, had a copyright claim on the word hog. Yeah. Um, th- you know, so, so fans of WCW will remember that pay-per-view. I don't know how much other people throughout the country who aren't Harley people would be aware of the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally here in the Midwest. You know, with South Dakota one state over, I think we're kind of aware of it. My stepdad also, not a Harley guy, but certainly a motorcycle guy. Mm-hmm. He would go almost every year. So, like, I was kind of aware. So, um, you know, this is the first time that WCW is going to be doing that show. That should be interesting. But it's kind of interesting to note, aside from just the pay-per-view, he really hypes, and he does this a couple times throughout the show, the month of June. He can't say, and it's kind of interesting given that when – the things that he's talking about come to fruition. Mm-hmm. The entire point of the storyline is that he didn't know about it. Okay. You know, so it's weird that he's teasing something and he yeah. can't say what it is. And when it happens, a big part of the plot is that he had no idea it was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's walking a very weird line here. He's just, he's bursting at the seams with this news. Like he just, he can't resist like wanting to talk about it because he's so excited. Mongo also uh, assures us that the bikers of Sturgis are true Americans. <laughs> um, and in, in all honesty, I, I do have, like, as, like, a childhood memory of wrestling, I have a soft spot for the Hog and Road Wild shows because I, I just love the occasional outdoor wrestling shows, like just the, the atmosphere and the look of people guys wrestling outdoors. Sure. We, we see it occasionally in recent years with uh, WrestleManias that are in stadiums without roofs. Yeah. Um, I, I also... Hog slash Road Wild is going to be well known for the fact that they they didn't receive anything for tickets. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's probably one of their biggest like financial failures every year. But it's I think it it just goes towards like Bischoff and his love for like motorcycles of just like I'm willing to throw my company's money into this because I want to go to Sturgis every year. Right. <laughs> and and uh, I disagree. I hate outdoor shows, but I like the okay. Hog Wild shows because. It's so much different having the guys on their bikes around the ring. Yeah. Like, just people, sta- or like the the WrestleManias that are outside, I hate them. Because mm-hmm. uh, so much of the pomp and circumstances wrestling is involved with these great intros. And I feel like daylight ruins intros. And it doesn't even have to be a guy like The Undertaker. Like, any intro that's in daylight, I uh-huh. just, I don't get excited for in the same yeah. way. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you're, if you also associate, like, outdoor shows with, WrestleMania 9, which is like one of the worst <laughs> WrestleManias. I yeah. can understand that too, especially since it was like like the middle of the day when the Undertaker's coming out. And that was essentially in a parking lot. Yeah. Um <laughs> that they had just thrown a ring in. Anyway, anyway, back yeah. to uh, our Nitro which is indoors. Yes. Even though they're at the lovely Daytona Beach. Right. Um 
And then then we have Randy Savage coming out, and I just I like the fact that the the announcers are just going on and on. They're hyping up the fact of that, that he's unhinged, he's crazy. You, you you don't know what he's gonna do next. And Savage comes out just like usual, <laughs> and is yeah. like clapping fans' hands, and actually just like Randy Savage. There's, I think I I put that on Savage. I think he forgot to act like a nutball. Yeah. No, I would I would agree with that, especially since. You know, they'll say he's crazy on Nitros in which he doesn't, like, really appear. Right. So he's there's, he's not doing a lot to develop this character or, or what the, how his character is acting. But um, I just thought it was really funny that, like, while they're saying he's crazy, he's literally, like, giving high fives to kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the match begins immediately because Hugh Morris comes on the offense. Um, he attacks uh, Savage at ringside and throws him against a guardrail before – slowly and awkwardly pulling his jacket off over his head in which a lot of the tassels start coming off and so we have tassels at the ringside right away uh mongo says that not much can hurt the macho man and macho is like literally writhing in pain he's like not much can hurt him he's gonna put a pummeling on hugh morris (laughs) it's like what what are you seeing that makes you say that right now Um, Humora slides into the ring momentarily to break a count, but I don't believe the match has actually started. I I can't really see if the official's still doing a count anyway. The bell has not rung, for sure. Um, Humora's body slams Savage onto the floor before getting into the ring. He exits again and looks for something under the ring, but when he doesn't find whatever he's looking for, he decides just to roll Savage in. Humora then puts on Randy Savage's glasses, his hat, and jacket, and immediately when we did that, I got uh, the memories of the fat guy in a little coat song. Uh, that's exactly what I thought of, too, especially because he can only put one sleeve on. And yes. he doesn't even try for the other sleeve because yeah. you can tell he's like, if I rip this coat, Randy is going to kill me. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, as soon as he picked up the coat, I'm like, go on. <laughs> At the, uh, then he act, then he starts doing like the Randy Savage uh, taunt, too, with a finger in the air. Uh, at this point, Macho Man finally gets some offense in, uh, punching Hugh Morris a few times before uh, grinding what appears to be the sunglasses in Hugh Morris's face. Jesus. Um, at that point, Savage grabs his jacket and he wraps it around Hugh Morris's neck before tossing him over the top rope so he can hang him. The referee decides he'll give him a five count to do that. <laughs> <laughs> he gets So he gives him five seconds to potentially strangle his opponent to death. And when the hold isn't broken, the referee calls for a bell to end the match that never started. As the bell rings incessantly, Macho Man drags Humorous back into the ring by the neck and hits his patented elbow drop. When Savage stands triumphantly with a boot on Morris's chest, the referee pushes him out of the way so he can raise the Laughing Man's arm in victory instead. This all seems to be just kind of antagonizing Macho Man, which doesn't <laughs> seem to be a good idea at this time. As Randy Savage drops the reverie with an audible slap to the face, then tosses Hugh Morris out of the ring. Then we get Randy Anderson entering the scene. And I should, uh, I, I'd just like to throw it because I, I finally found this out. Uh, we've seen this guy before, this ref. Mm-hmm. I never had his name. There's So there's your Nick Patrick, your Randy Anderson. Occasionally there's another guy named Jimmy Jett. Okay. Uh, this guy is Randy Eller. Randy Eller. Yes. Okay. So I, I did the research on that one. I want to make sure we got that in. All right, so Randy Eller was one that took the, the audible slap from Randy Savage. Uh, Randy Randy Anderson enters the ring to try to stop Savage as he's uh, trying to tear the referee's shirt off. And when that doesn't work, he just says body slams him and hits the referee with a flying elbow. 
At this point, Randy Anderson decides uh, he's not cut out for this and flees the scene <laughs> with the Macho Man lunging after him. So he's trying to attack every referee in sight. Now we get a fleet of referees and police officers, including the head of security, uh, Doug Dillinger. Is it Doug Dillinger? Yes. Yes. Uh, arrive to restrain Randy Savage. They love to call out his involvement because, like, yeah. he's actually their head of security and he's pretty much an on-screen character like he never talks or like really features in an angle yeah but he is involved enough and they always point out like oh there's our head of security doug dillinger yeah i don't know if like they think that's funny like he's a weird character or if they just feel it makes it a little more realistic or what but it's, it's just kind of interesting how often they call out doug dillinger's presence yeah because like in in wcw and in the wwf at this time there's always like the fleet of like backstage people that show up to, to break up wrestlers but right there's a lot of them you don't know the names of and doug dillinger would usually be that kind of guy except that they every time you see him it's like that's doug dillinger right <laughs> yeah at this point uh randy savage eventually agrees that he has lost his mind and needs to be escorted from the ring uh by the police but again he is clapping the fans hands as he leaves uh so at the, so really we didn't have like a match it was just kind of uh uh, it was another situation that was really weird because I remember a few weeks ago when Randy Savage was facing uh, Earl Robert Eaton, that that Eaton, knowing that Savage was losing his mind, like did everything he could to antagonize him further. Yeah, and Hugh Morris does the same thing too. <laughs> I, I I feel like these wrestlers are not learning their lesson with Randy Savage. Not doing that scouting, you know. That is very poor scouting. <laughs> After that match, we get a commercial, and as we come back. Uh, Eric Bischoff has a tribute to a fallen wrestler, and let's go to an audio clip. All right, welcome back to WCW Monday Night Show Live, and I want to take this opportunity to announce the passing of a good friend of mine, a good friend of everyone's here at WCW, Ray the Crippler Stevens, uh, passed away, and we had an opportunity to talk to his family, and rather than sending flowers uh, or cards, send a donation to one of Ray's favorite charities, the Cauliflower Alley Club. You see the phone number right there on your screen. Ray was uh, heavily involved in the Cauliflower Alley Club, uh, Club Bobby Heenan, and we know that uh, he was very much in favor of the scholarship program that they have there for future wrestlers. But again, uh, the passing of a very good friend of mine and ours, and I know yours, Bobby Heenan, Ray Crippler Stevens, and we'll all miss him. Well, you're right about that, Mr. Bischoff. The Crippler Ray Stevens died on May 3rd, 1996. Uh, considered by many to be one of the best in-ring workers of his era, he won championships in many promotions throughout the 60s and 70s. He died of a heart attack in his sleep, uh, and he was the first wrestler to be inducted into the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame twice, once for his singles work and once for his tag team work with fellow legend Pat Patterson. Over on USA, uh, tonight's episode of Raw was dedicated to Stevens, while WCW takes a moment here to invite donations to the Cauliflower Alley Club, which is essentially a fraternal organization for wrestlers like uh, the Eagles or the Elks or like whatever, you know, your grandpa's in kind of thing. Yeah. Except for this one's for wrestlers. And they have a scholarship program for um, future wrestlers. The Cauliflower Alley Club honored uh, Stevens at their annual gala last year, 1995. Uh, so it's, you know, something that he has participated in. They've honored him and mm -hmm. very near to his heart. So a uh, classy move by WCW taking the time to, uh, talk about him very seriously and, you know, and to plug something that to give money to that he would have appreciated a good move. Yeah. And and like you said, it's like it's very noteworthy for the fact that both WWF and WCW uh, take took time to do that. Um, 
you know, since they've been like at, at each other's throats and you feel like they don't want to be associated with each other no right. matter what. So it's really a, a, a tribute to like the impact Ray Stevens had on the guys at this time that both federations like took a moment to acknowledge him. Right. Uh, and they also, as uh, Dean Malenko's music starts playing, they just kind of let it play for five, ten seconds before they like go back into the show. Mm-hmm. They don't. They let there be a nice, respectful moment instead of awkwardly trying to figure out how to transition from like we're being serious to oh, here's the Iceman. You yeah. know. Yep. Malenko's sweet music plays, and he enters as Bischoff announces that Shinjiro Otani is indeed, as we've mentioned here on the show for weeks, yep. the first WCW Cruiserweight Champion. I don't know why I had problems with that title. <laughs> Listeners of this show recall that this took place in Japan weeks ago, but it's being treated now like it's a new development. Uh, the tournament was an absolute joke, with no bracket ever being released. Matches occurring all on B and C shows, and even dark matches, like before pay-per-views. Uh-huh. Uh, and they wrestlers who were supposedly eliminated would appear again, and they would say that it was then double elimination, yep. and then those guys would appear again. <laughs> I mean, there was absolutely no rhyme or reason or even an attempt it's it's much like the uh, maligned uh, TNA Bound for Glory series, yeah. which I think maybe one or two years they did actually do a decent job keeping track of, and then other years they've just completely fucked it up yep. with like an inability to plan even one month worth of events. <laughs> Bischoff plugs Otani debuting the championship and defending it on the May 18th episode of WCW Worldwide against Dean Malenko. Ah. Uh, that match has actually already been taped. Uh, I won't spoil it now. Why not? I'll keep kayfabe, and we will talk about that when we get closer uh, to May 18th. Okay. One thing we haven't mentioned before on this show is that though the Cruiserweight Championship is indeed a new title, it does share lineage with the WCW Light Heavyweight title, which existed from 1991 to 1992 and was once held by Jushin Thunder Liger, who is going to come and take on Dean Malenko right now. That championship died when then-champion Brad Armstrong sustained a knee injury, WCW announced a tournament to crown a new champion and mentioned it several times in WCW programming, uh, but it just never happened. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> <laughs> that title was allowed to die and uh, be gone for four years until kind of being rebranded as a cruiserweight championship. And so even though they announced it as a new thing in, in the official lineage of that belt, they include the former WCW light heavyweight champions. Gotcha. Liger enters accompanied by Sonny Ono. Uh, he's wearing awesome black and white gear. Yes. I'm used to the red and white mm-hmm. Liger gear, which is cool, but this black and white gear is far superior. <laughs> right. I don't know if maybe that's because he's coming out with a heel manager and he's you know wrestling as a heel in this mat. I mean, he's not uh, he's not cheating or anything like that, but mm-hmm. he's Japanese, and as we've seen in the '90s, like that's good enough to just he's the bad guy. Yeah. And he has a heel manager, so you know. Yeah. So I don't know if maybe that's a little symbolic thing, um, the black, but it looks sweet. A collar elbow tie-up is converted to a side headlock by Dean, but Liger. A collar elbow tie-up is converted to a side headlock by Dean, but Liger escapes with a head scissors, which Malenko shrugs off, and both men are quickly back on their feet. Malenko takes Liger down with a drop toe hold and locks on a front face lock, but Liger rolls through it and slaps on a hammer lock. Malenko gets to his feet, but Liger keeps a wrist lock on. Bischoff is in the mood to prove he can call a match, and he is calling every move so far, and points out the three pressure points affected by a wrist lock. Nice. It's maybe a bit much, uh, but I, I I think he's doing a good job. You know, like, mm-hmm. you're going a, a tad bit overboard, but I like when you're pointing out the pressure points and that stuff. And he's got a little bit of a martial arts background himself, so there's there's some believability to the stuff he says. Sure. 
Malenko goes to his back, kips up, and then flips forward, reversing the hold. But Liger somersaults and springs up and out of the hold before tripping Dean with a single leg takedown and going for a pin that receives barely a one count. So far, awesome. Yes. <laughs> really, really good opening. A very standard opening mm-hmm. that you see in a lot of cruiserweight-type matches, uh, but they're crisp, they're moving great, these guys work really well together, everything's fantastic. Dean attempts to trip Liger, but Liger jumps over it. After some near misses off the ropes, Dean grabs a leg, but Liger hits an enziguri, which Dean sells by flipping all the way around in a cool spot. But of course, Bischoff, who I just praised, was focusing uh, instead on the macho man being escorted from the building by local authorities. (laughs) He then hilariously apologizes for interjecting that news, uh, but he directs his apology specifically to Mongo. He's like, Mongo, I know you were looking forward to this match. i sorry I had to get that news out there. And then he goes back and calls the Enziguri a back leg round kick because Bischoff uh, likes to call any move involving your leg a back leg round kick. <laughs> back leg round kick. <laughs> Come on. Dean rolls to the outside to recover as Liger hypes up the crowd. Uh, so I guess not really a heel in that respect. He's He's purposely trying to engage the crowd in more, you know, frenzy. We go to a split screen as a tuxedo-clad Ric Flair wanders down the aisle with Liz and woman wearing matching red dresses. Flair instructs the women to spin, and he apparently is more convincing than Arn as they acquiesce. He is always more convincing than Arn. <laughs> Flair and the ladies sit down at a table near the entrance ramp, apparently set up just for them to watch the show. Back in the ring, Dean is sent to the mat by a Liger kick. Liger comes off the ropes and hits a somersault senton for a two-count, followed by a brain buster for another near fall. Liger locks on a seated abdominal stretch as we go to commercial. When we return, we return not to the in-ring action, but instead to Flair and his ladies, who are being waited on at their VIP table. Uh, We are told that this is another example of Flair and Liz spending Macho's money. So, a a clear indication here that though Flair dropped the belt to the Giant, he is going to be continuing his program with the Macho Man. When we finally get back to the match, Liger is coming off the ropes and Dean tags him with a dropkick. This gets a one count before Liger gets a foot on the ropes. Malenko slaps on a leg lock and Liger suffers for a bit before scooting over and getting a rope break. Malenko works the leg while Bischoff continues to reference just how cool June is going to be. <laughs> Dean gets another leg lock and Mongo shows that even a broken linebacker makes the right call twice a day as he points out that a grounded Liger is much less dangerous than one who can use his legs to fly around. Nice. Good job, Mongo. Broken linebacker. <laughs> Bobby accidentally admits to being on the take from Sonny Ono before claiming that he meant to say Sonny Ono takes him out for sushi. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> that was a good one. I also he did a really good job of making it sound like a, a like a Freudian slip. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> Liger gets an inside cradle for a one count. Back on their feet, Malenko whips Liger into the ropes, and Liger comes back with a handspring back elbow, elbow for two count. Though it was really more of like a cartwheel or a round off than a handspring back. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's <laughs> like he doesn't put in all the effort for a full back handspring. He just kind of does a shitty round off. <laughs> Liger whips Dean into the corner and hits a Kapuo kick, uh, which is where he runs towards Dean and then springs forward into a headstand, driving his heel into Dean's forehead. And I may have mispronounced that, but uh, that's, that looks how it's written. Kapuo kick. Okay. I, I buy it. Liger puts Dean on the top turnbuckle and goes for a superplex, but Dean slows him with punches to the side. Liger lets go and hits a standing dropkick that knocks Malenko off the turnbuckle and onto the floor outside the ring. Liger hops to the time... 
Liger hops to the top turnbuckle and dives onto Malenko. Both men make their way back into the ring, and Liger tries for another handspring back elbow, but Dean catches it and awkwardly transitions into a cradle pin attempt, literally the only poor spot in this entire match. Mm-hmm. It's like the one thing where you're like, oh, now it's not perfect. Right. <laughs> he only gets a two count before Liger reverses it into a pin of his own for a two count. Liger charges Dean in a corner, but Dean tosses him over the top rope where Liger lands standing on the ring apron. Liger goes up to the top rope, but Dean hits some punches to the stomach before hopping on the second rope and hitting the flying gut buster. Yeah, Dean Blanco hits the top rope gus- gut buster that Eric Bischoff says he has never seen before. Yeah, so fuck you, Mr. JL. <laughs> to which Mr. JL's wrist would like to have a t- talk with him about. He broke his arm for nothing. <laughs> the announcer who called the match yeah. two months ago doesn't even remember. Well, it was a little longer than that. But <laughs> I'm pretty man. sure no one of importance has ever been hit with that move. The crowd and announcer reaction to it is huge. The announcers all... Uh, are like oh and it sounds like legitimate they're they're yeah. shocked at how pretty that move is dean goes for a power bomb but liger shifts his weight at the top of the arc and dean falls backwards with liger on top of him grabbing his legs for a pin attempt which dean escapes from dean goes for a brain buster but liger blocks him they grapple for position and dean hits a tiger driver for the one two three pinfall victory in a damn good match yeah, it's really too bad that they decide to have a distracting scene outside that they uh, maybe focus a little bit too much on. But other than that, no, the, they. I felt like that Malenko and uh, Liger got lots of time, um, and they both made each other look really good, which is like the, the idea of a match. And other than when they, when Flair and the women came out, and when they cut back to him after commercial. The announcers talked on about him during those periods, mm-hmm. but when the camera wasn't on them, the announcers did a good job of focusing on the match itself. Yeah. Um, and, and I will say that when Flair came out and the camera and the announcers focused on him, Dean smartly rolled to the outside to recover, and you can see he's just, like, watching Flair pretty yeah. blatantly to be like, okay, like, when are they going to, okay, now they're done filming him, we're going to wrestle again. Okay. So you don't feel like you're missing as, you know, really anything awesome. Yeah. And oh. and when they when they come back from commercial and show him, uh, they've got an abdominal stretch on, so that's just a rest spot, you know, mm-hmm. so they, they at least time that out well. Yeah. Oh, and that reminds me, I wanted to give credit to Mongo when, uh, when Flair and the women came out. He was the one that pointed out that, like, as soon as Macho Man was escorted from the building, suddenly Ric Flair is showing up. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was, like, really good. That was a, a good job of him, like, putting those two that sequence together like that. Kudos to both men for that match, and it does a good job of setting up Dean as a credible threat for Otani's title before their uh, title match. After a commercial, Mean Gene is out to interview Ric Flair and the ladies. Uh, you know, I worry sometimes that we play too many Ric Flair promos on the show, um, but I'd like to, in our defense, that's kind of mostly the result of Nitro only featuring promos from the same rotation of top guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I like to play as much in-show stuff as possible because it breaks up, you know, just hearing you and I prattle on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's another Ric Flair promo. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, to WCW Monday Nitro. Here in Daytona Beach, we are totally live, and I am joined by the beauty, the Nature Boy. I'm talking about Miss Elizabeth, woman. Oh, yeah. And Nature Boy, Ric Flair. What is the meaning of all of this? The champagne treatment. Robert Leach would love this. Robert Leach couldn't get invited to a party that the Nature Boy throws. Now let's get down to it. What are you, you know, talking about? When you are at the top 
of your own personal world. You do what you want to do when you want to do it. Tonight, we fly by Learjet Zoom, parking right next to John DeVolta's. We get out in Daytona Beach. We check into the finest hotel, and we say, let's walk across the street and see what the ordinary world's doing tonight. So we drive up front, we order some Don Perignon, we walk in and we show all the men out there exactly what makes the nature bar go round and round. Right, macho man? Now, a lot of people think that I should be upset over the giant. The giant got lucky. When the time comes back around, the giant will hurt. You got a question for me, Mean Gene? No, I just wonder if I'm horse meat here, can I have a drink with you all? <laughs> mean Gene, throw some of that down. Oh, Lord, how it's hard to be humble. Woo! Give me a break. You know, I don't mind filling you. You let's had get, that loaded up with something let's there. Let's get there. back to what's happening. It's called slavery. It's lethal lottery. And by fate, somehow, the macho man and I are partners. And guess who we're against? Double A and Eddie Guerrero. No wonder he looks so So in one night, we think? eliminate macho man one more time. And double A, do not make the wrong decision in life again. And woman, I would like to ask you this evening, uh, what's your sense of all of this? My sense is this, Gene, that I believe Ric Flair, the nature boy himself, will end up on top. Oh, mean Gene, yes. Mean Gene, there's a killer blonde in the audience tonight that I know would like to have a cocktail with the nature boy. Is that right, Mrs. McMichaels? Oh, hey, 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 oh hey, no. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, 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 oh. Elizabeth. You tell her, nature boy. Be across the street at the end of the bar all night long. Obviously, well, uh, how about that? Obviously, Sandy? this man is not gonna give me or my family any kind yeah, of respect you. whatsoever. Hey, Deborah! So you Deborah, know what that Deborah, means. Deborah, this down. is your chance to be. <laughs> see, see, I married a Southern Belle. I understand there you have it. that she's from the state of Texas. Mean Gene, before it's all over, you're going to know why they call me an all-around cowboy, honey. Ooh! All right, Elizabeth, any closing oh, comments from you, my oh, dear? Steve, I'm sorry. Oh, listen, that. let's don't worry about the champagne, because you know Randy has plenty of money. Oh, please, laugh it <laughs> up, hey, folks. Macho Man, we're riding home in that blue portion, that brother. Got it? Woo. All right, stick around. Next up, Lord Steven Regal and Sting right here on Nitro. So there you go. Flair comes out. He talks about how great his lifestyle is, how rich he is, etc. He says he's not upset about losing to the Giant. The Giant got lucky, and when the time is right, Flair will get his title back. He addresses being Macho Man's partner coming up at Slamboree and warns Arn Anderson, uh, who will be teaming with Eddie Guerrero against the Nature Boy and the Macho Man, not to make the wrong decision. Woman says she believes that the Nature Boy will end up on top, and Flair says there's a killer blonde in the audience who wants to drink with him, Mrs., as he says, McMichaels. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Deborah is shown shaking her head at ringside. Flair has his waitress bring her a glass of champagne. 
The waitress is having the time of her life being involved in this angle. <laughs> she has a shit-eating grin the whole time, and she, it's so funny. She's just enjoying the hell out of this. Deborah accepts the drink with a big smile before pouring it on the ground to oh. a big pop from the crowd. <laughs> Ric Flair says Deborah's from Texas, and when he's finished, she'll see why they call him the all-around cowboy. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> I, Ric Flair's called a lot of things. Nobody calls him the all-around cowboy. <laughs> I just wanted to, to suggest that before this promo, since he'd been sitting there whining and dining, that yeah. maybe he got a little bit lit up before this pre promo. Oh, for sure. <laughs> we then get another commercial, including a promo for the blood running so very cold. <laughs> when we come back, Bischoff apologizes for the actions of one Ric Flair. Mongo says that Deborah is a Southern Belle who knows how to handle herself. Regal enters with Jeeves. Uh, Regal's eye is still taped up from his parking lot brawl with Finley, which aired last week, but of course took place two weeks ago. Right. However, I, I think it still might be legit because that match was pretty friggin' brutal. <laughs> Heenan says that Deborah was just flustered by the Nature Boy giving her champagne, and since she'd never had it before, <laughs> she got nervous and shaky and spilled the drink. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> Mongo gets super angry and tells Bobby to shut up and mind his own business. <laughs> and he sounds believably mad. Uh, probably just good acting by Mongo, yeah. but uh, it was it was a pretty funny moment. Yeah. It, do it still seems like that someone kind of got in his ear like, don't be happy that he's hitting on your wife. And, and every week it seems like he is definitely like hitting home. Like, that is really angering me now. Out comes uh, the Stinger. He's going to be taking on Lord Steven Regal. And here to call all the action is Dave Amator. All right. So as the particularly colorful Sting makes his entrance, Eric Bischoff informs us that Lex Luger has not yet arrived to the arena for his title match with the Giant. Hmm. Uh-oh. Um, after, after he removes his robe, we see that Lord Steven Regal also has bandages on his forearm, his thigh, and his knee. Regal is upset. Also, also on his uh, left wrist and hand. <laughs> I have a full list here, and you hit all of them except for those. Okay. Uh, Bobby says that he's held together by masking tape and cat gut. <laughs> and also that Regal has been linked uh, romantically to Lady Di, which is what caused her breakup to Prince Charles. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the news. <laughs> Uh, Regal is upset at the conduct of the ringside fans and wants to address it, but Nick Patrick is quick to defuse the situation. Steven Regal starts a matchup with a kick to the gut when it became apparent Sting was not going to get his classic collar noble tie-up to start the match. A whip, in, whip into the corner is reversed by Sting, and Regal bounces off right into a big back body drop. Oh, no. Sting is... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. Oh, no. Mercy. I do declare. <laughs> Sting is quick to slap on the Scorpion Deathlock, but Regal manages to wiggle his way to a rope break before the finisher can be fully applied. As will you, as Lord Steven Regal walks off a backache outside the ring, we head to a commercial break. And as we return, Sting is applying a headlock inside the ring, but Regal sends him into the ropes to escape the hold. Regal spins for what might have been a back forearm, but is dropped with a shoulder block by Sting. Did you notice uh, Bobby making... The same joke that he made twice last week. Uh, which joke is that? Okay, so Bischoff says that the only thing more broken up than Regal is the Bronco in the parking lot uh, from the parking lot brawl. Oh yeah. And uh, were you gonna get to this later? No. Okay. No. So 
Bobby again claims that that was his rent-a-car, and Bischoff then corrects himself and goes, oh, not the Bronco, but the Isuzu. And Heenan goes, well, it was an Isuzu when I got it, but after that match, it was a Hyundai. Oh, yeah, yeah, So yeah. again, somehow <laughs> he's in, in, implying that this match had the power to change car make by damaging it so much. <laughs> and I don't, I don't really remember Isuzus that much because those are gone now. But I don't know if they were, like, considered a step above a Hyundai. Like, it got broken down into a Hyundai, but <laughs> Hyundai is still standing and Isuzu is long gone. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that joke now that you mentioned it. Didn't, didn't think it was worth bringing up. <laughs> Why <laughs> ever not? I thought it was addressed last week. <laughs> um, returning to the match, after being dropped by the shoulder block, uh, Regal slides into the corner and starts to beg off. Sting watches Regal as he gets comically offended by the taunts of the fans. Um, th- this match, I feel like, is noted for the fact that Regal is like really bringing it on as far as like the expressions and the reactions of the fans oh, yeah. are concerned he seems a little bit more interested in in reacting to fans and like actually wrestling this match well he i he might be still kind of hurt mm-hmm. so he's trying to make sure that the match gets over without having to do anything <laughs> right. i mean and, and like since the beginning of this year didn't he also like blow his knee out yeah also broke his nose so yep. <laughs> it's been a rough 96 <laughs> for him <laughs> Um, after after he's finished taunting the fans, the two lock up and Regal gets a quick uh, wrist lock, but Sting is even quicker to reverse into a wrist lock of his own. Lord Steven Regal shows off his athleticism by rolling into a rope break. As Sting gives him space, Regal flexes with the assistance from his free hand. Sting is not amused. Instead, Sting grabs a ropes and strikes what I can only describe as a dainty pose. Uh, he's he's doing like a limp wrist, uh, you're gay thing. Yeah. You're British, therefore you're gay, I guess, <laughs> according to the Stinger. Yeah. I was a little bit disappointed. I mean, I know it's 96, but <laughs> right. come on, Sting. You know, uh, right before that, too, I, I wanted to get this out there that it was announced by Bischoff that... Uh, the Bruiser and Regal are no longer te- the Belfast Bruiser, that is. And uh, one other thing I want to note uh, that was announced a little earlier, Bischoff notes that the Belfast Bruiser and Lord Stephen Regal are no longer going to be teaming up at Slamboree. Uh, that was before one of those wacky coincidences that these guys that hate each other were going to be on the same team. Yeah. Uh, but the given reason is that the Bruiser was so injured in that match that he is like, He's going back to Ireland to get medical care. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he can't get medical care in America. Well, because it's free over there, so why the hell not, I guess. But anyway, in reality, he's going to be touring uh, in Germany for a few months to build the WCW brand over there. He's got good relationships in Europe. Uh, so why they booked him for Slamboree and then changed it so last minute, I don't know. Uh, but that is the reality of, of what he's off to do. Okay. Um, after doing the, the Yerke pose... <laughs> This apparently fires up Sting into a frenzy in which he stirs the crowd into a frenzy. Um, and then quickly is trying for another collar and elbow tie-up, but is taken down by a single leg. Regal maneuvers himself into another wrist lock with the help of pulling on the Stinger's hair. The two men exchange, locking their opponent's arms around their neck, uh, you know, like wrapping one arm around the other. Um, whatever that move's called, I, I couldn't figure out what the move's called. Um, and as Regal drops Sting to the mat by uh, by leveraging his foot against the back of his knee, at that point I noticed that the large 29 on Sting's tights. Yeah. And I don't know why it took me until this point to notice there's a 29 there, and I was wondering about it, but we'll get to that in a moment. 
It's funny because this is right in my notes where I have the same thing. Like, it must have been the first time it was shown prominently on camera or something. Yeah. Because right here in my notes, I say, why do Sting's pants say 29? <laughs> right. As the two men return to their feet, Sting tries for a test of strength, but Regal counters with a thumb to the eye. Regal drills Sting with, a forearm, with forearms as Eric Bischoff explains that the number 29 is for the WCW Bush car, which is immensely stupid. They also claim uh, that that guy's been lighting it up on the Bush series without any specifics. And since the last time we heard it, he got fifth place and they acted like he was a champion, right. I'm guessing lighting it on fire means finishing anywhere in like the top 20 of the races. <laughs> right. Um... Okay, at this point, uh, Sting is now, like, stinging up, hulking up, whatever we want to call it, uh, drop-kicking Rigo before unloading with a series of clotheslines. Lord Steven Rigo begs off, only to get whipped into the turnbuckle for his efforts. However, he dodges the stinger splash and gathers Sting in for a double underhook suplex, but Sting backdrops him, stays on top of him, and gets the pin, even though Rigo is the one that's applying the hold. It really didn't make much sense to me at it all. It also looked like that squished Regal's face pretty badly. Yeah. Oh, also, right when he moved out of the Stinger Splash, Regal had, like, this great expression on his face where he's like, I out-tricked you. <laughs> it was just missing a pointing at his brain. Right. That was the only thing missing. Yep. Uh, so, yep, uh, it was a pretty, I don't know, it was a pretty forgettable match, to be honest. Uh, more, there's more to... Uh, them kind of taunting each other than actually wrestling. Um, so we had like wrist locks and counters, at some chain wrestling going on. But th- then there's the the finish was is just goofy because Regal is the one that has the hold on. Yeah, he should be able to kick out. This is what I think of. I mean, the f- I agree with you on the finish, but this is what I kind of the epitome of what I call a good TV match. Like no one's doing anything crazy. No one's like. Uh, no big spots. Nobody's doing anything to get hurt because this match doesn't really mean anything. Uh-huh. Uh, but they're working the crowd. The crowd's into it. The crowd's giving them good reactions the whole time. They pop for Sting calling Regal gay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so I would say it does what it needs to do, and and the crowd's into it. So the you know it's 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 fine. Yeah. Two two and a half stars, and I mean that in like a non-negative way, just right right in the middle. You yeah. know. And, and like you said, we we. We've seen a lot more of Steven Regal on TV recently, and even th- for him, even if he loses, the fact that he has a match on Nitro is is a really good move for him, especially since that's two weeks in a row. I mean, that's usually reserved for like four or five different guys. Right. Before we go to commercial, we get told by Eric Bischoff that Lex Luger is still not arrived. What? And when we get back from commercial, Lex's music is playing, but he doesn't show. Uh, if Bischoff knew that Lex wasn't here. Why did nobody get word of the sound guy not to play Luger's theme? Also, why were they playing Luger and Sting's theme on top of each other? Oh, were they? I didn't yeah. notice that. Because it was like it was really confusing for a while, and then I realized that both the themes were playing at the same time. Huh, that's bizarre. I didn't even notice that. That's bizarre. <laughs> Flair Woman and Liz are still at their VIP table, uh, so we get that. And uh, then Luger's music fades as Hacksaw Jim Duggan shows up to a less-than-rapturous reaction from the crowd you don't say yeah they are actually booing the shit out of hacksaw who (laughs) normally despite not being over in my living room is actually pretty (laughs) over with the fans in fairness to him (laughs) but this town they're booing him uh quote the crowd is really reacting to hacksaw jim duggan says bischoff (laughs) and i guess that's true (laughs) the crowd is really reacting to him you're technically correct (laughs) which is the best kind of correct to be (laughs) 
Randy Anderson and Dave Penzer try to figure out what's going on. Before Hacksaw can say a single word to them, yeah. Penzer announces that Hacksaw has offered to fill in for the absent Lex Luger. After that's been announced, Hacksaw begins the process of pantomiming an explanation. <laughs> so I don't know if Hacksaw paused too long or if Penzer went early. I don't know. But it made no sense the way that it actually happened. I just, I like the idea that, oh, he's not here for his top match. Oh, don't worry. I'll take his title match for him. Oh, you're so kind. <laughs> right? They make it sound like he's doing such a noble act, <laughs> but he's taking a title shot. You know what? I will get... I agree with you on the one hand that it almost like cheapens the importance of title shots, but it strengthens the scariness of the giant. Like, holy shit, he's willing to... like, You know what I mean? The giant's so scary that okay. like only someone as moronic as Hacksaw Jim Duggan <laughs> would come out. That's That's a good point. <laughs> Because who knows? Maybe the giant gets angered by changes of match schedule. <laughs> You'd think legally he wouldn't have to have the match at all, but he, you know what? He takes on all comers. Yeah. Mongo, who last week was still on the anti-Lex bandwagon, now believes that Lex probably is just unlucky and got <laughs> another flat tire like he did on Saturday night. I like the fact that that he is just failing as a professional. <laughs> Is like the thing that's turning him around. <laughs> oh yeah, the fact that he doesn't show up for work <laughs> makes me really admire. Get him. off his back already! <laughs> Out comes WCW Heavyweight Champion the Giant. Before he can even get all the way in the ring, Hacksaw sucker punches him and lays in a bunch more. Randy Anderson separates them, and as the Giant turns his back to hand the belt to Jimmy Hart, who's outside the ring, Duggan again plays the cowardly dickwad and attacks the Giant <laughs> from behind. He learned so well from Hulk Hogan. <laughs> he really did. Yeah. Because Hulk Hogan would have done the same thing. He would have attacked the giant. So would the booty man. Like, there's a there's yeah. a Hogan school of babyface that's just like, I do whatever I want. Yeah. <laughs> the giant is unfazed and soon has Hacksaw pressed into the corner with a size 22 quintuple E boot pressed into his throat. Hacksaw with some kicks to the gut, but the giant knocks him to the mat with a clubbing blow. The giant then squishes him into the turnbuckles. Giant squishes him again before shouting, that's two, time for one more. <laughs> Apparently shouting your strategy is not a sound plan, as this time Hacksaw dodges and the giant flies back into the turnbuckles. <laughs> it was so common. I mean, that's that's house show wrestling, you know? That doesn't really play on TV in the same way, but it was really, really funny. Duggan goes for an ill-advised body slam. I, what are with these guys always trying to body slam the giant? Every time. <laughs> I I feel like that in the back of their mind, they feel like their manhood is tested. Yeah. Like, they're going to think of him, I'm a pussy if I don't try to body slam him. Well, Duggan, uh, Duggan's manhood was tested and found wanting. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a compl it's a great microcosm of <laughs> the career of Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He eats another clubbing blow to the back, followed by some kicks and uh, a lot of other generic kick-punch-type offense until he rolls to the outside. The giant retrieves him and whips him into a corner. He goes for a charge, but Hacksaw dodges and tries to tape up his fist. He can't quite cheat quickly enough, though, and the giant hits a chokeslam for the win. <laughs> After his victory, the giant continues to attack Duggan, hitting a second chokeslam. Macho Man was disqualified for hitting a second finisher after a match like two, three weeks ago, I want to say. Uh -huh. uh, but this time, the WCW refs let it go because they are nothing if not wildly inconsistent. 
Cobra comes to the ring to rescue Duggan, but eats a choke slam. And we haven't seen him. You know, we haven't seen him since the Giants' first quasi-title reign. Yeah. When he maybe challenged for the title, it was never clear if I, that was a legitimate match. I really like the idea that in the in the world of Cobra, yeah. like that that's his big feud. <laughs> this was his opportunity to come back and show the Giant that he can beat him, and he just gets the choke slam again. <laughs> Next, the Cuban assassin makes an inauspicious Nitro debut as he also comes out to eat a choke slam. <laughs> uh, the only other time that I've even seen him regarding, the, I mean, I, I don't sit there and watch every Saturday night, but he was on the 60-man battle royal at World War III, and like I only picked him out of the crowd because he's maybe the ugliest man alive. <laughs> it's insane. Anyway, Alex Wright comes out and gets the exact same treatment. Uh, though Wright goes way up high for the choke slam. Yeah. Like a little bit of the giant strength, a little bit of Alex Wright jumping really high. Very impressive choke slam. Flair comes down to the ring, still in his tux, with the wooden chair from his VIP table. He breaks the chair over the giant's head, but the giant no sells it, and Flair begs for forgiveness. The giant threatens Flair, but fails to notice Sting run down and hop up the top rope behind him. As the giant looks to choke slam Flair, the Stinger makes the save with a flying axe handle. He then shot blocks the back of the giant's knee a few times, stunning the big man. Five punches from Sting, and the giant is stumbling. Sting heads to the top rope as a fan holds up a Mongo Sucks sign. <laughs> Stinger finally knocks the giant down with a double axe handle off the top rope as the crowd goes bonkers. You know, this action's really great. I just want to remind you guys that Mongo Sucks. <laughs> I've got priorities. Sting goes for the Scorpion uh, Deathlock but he has trouble turning the giant over. He finally manages, and Jimmy Hart weakly taps him in the back of the head with the megaphone. By, by the way, when it's when it's like uh, going for a leg lock on the giant, that's what his legs just look huge. Yeah, they're tree trunks. Yeah, I I still don't know like how Flair did it last week. <laughs> Sting and Hart stand off, and Luger finally shows, wearing his pinstriped workout outfit uh, that you may remember from way back when he wore it two episodes in a row because he forgot to change outfits in the taped episode. I like, I, I like to think that's like that's all he has. <laughs> I think we said something at the time that like it looked like something your mom would wear out in like 1993. <laughs> right. Anyway, anyway, he also he has a metal briefcase with him which I think is supposed to be because, like, he just got there and he's traveling. But Wait, why is this trap? Like, he keeps his clothes in a metal briefcase? <laughs> oh, boy. I just, I thought the same thing, too. And it's just like, Luger just operates on a different level than everyone else. <laughs> My clothes would be safe if they're in a metal briefcase. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy Hart calls the Giant off, and the announcers try to make a little hay out of that because he let the Giant attack everyone else, but then when Luger shows up, Jimmy Hart stops him. So, uh, you know, is it? they're still trying to play up, you know, maybe there's some kind of thing between uh, Luger and Jimmy Hart. Mean Gene is in the ring, and let's hear him try to sort this whole thing out in an audio clip. Let's go to Gene Okerlund. He's got them both in the ring. Somebody get Gene's mic on. Gene's trying to find out where Sting's been uh, in the dressing room. Where's Luger been? Jimmy Hart did the best move here. He got the giant, got him out of Let's there. Let's see if we're on now. All right, okay. they're on. We've got to take yes. it, Gino. Very quickly. Lex Luger, where have you been? This is the second opportunity. Let me ask you, where the hell have you been? Hey. 
Why you asking me where the hell I've been? Because look at this mess you caused. This is supposed to be your deal out here. Where have you been? I can't even believe you're saying I caused like I didn't try to be here. I didn't want to wrestle the giant for the world heavyweight title. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, I'm starting to wonder. I'm starting to wonder. Two weeks in a row now, you've missed an opportunity, and it's been a big one. Now let me ask you. Wait a minute. No, let me ask him something, Gene. We are on a All year we traveled. You've never missed a fight, had a canceled, missed a match. All years we've traveled. Gentlemen, this one is going to have to be continued. I'm sorry, we are all out of time. Good night from Daytona Beach. So long, everybody. Hit him, hit him. So as you can hear there, uh, his mic doesn't work at first. But essentially, Sting is mad at Luger, Luger is mad at Sting for questioning his integrity, and Nitro runs out of time as these two argue, and Brain calls for them to hit each other. <laughs> I like I like at the at the end that, that Gene Oakland kind of is, is kind of like, ah, who cares, we're out of time. <laughs> he just like leaves ring. <laughs> yeah, this uh, argument would actually continue backstage in a segment uh, filmed and aired on the next Saturday night. Oh, okay. Uh, where... Luger swore up and down that he, you know, it was just, he, I think he says he missed a flight or something like that, or the flight was canceled. That's what it was. So the flight was canceled, uh, and that next week he wants, another, he demands another title shot, and this time he promises to camp outside the arena to make sure that he doesn't miss the title shot. Was that, so do you think that's like some sort of Dagon Flair? Oh, I didn't even, that very well could be. I, that's... Wow, I didn't put that I, the two and two together. Well, I I didn't I didn't know that other story about Ric Flair dropping the title because yeah. of the, and it, it's like so recently, and it just seems like maybe it's kind of like a a Bischoff thing to do. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. Uh, they also allude to a potential stipulation for Sting's match uh, against the Giant at Slamboree. Okay. Sting says that just to kind of keep everyone where he can see him. He wants Luger handcuffed to Jimmy Hart during the match at Slamboree. Uh, so we'll see if that how that comes to fruition. I'd, I don't know if that's officially added as a stipulation because um, me and Gene keep saying, like, that'll they'll never allow it. It's just, me and Gene's adamantly opposed to that for yeah. some reason. I mean, Luger and, and Jimmy Hart, they could be wherever they want to. They, they just have to be handcuffed to each other. <laughs> they, they could be hanging out backstage if they want. Applebee's. <laughs> uh, who was your MVP of this particular Nitro? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't even considered it. <laughs> Do you have anything I, I have to think? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm going to go with Dean Malenko. Uh, came out and looked great in his match with Jushin Thunder Liger. Got him ready for his uh, upcoming title match with Shinjiro Otani for that cruiserweight belt that has been made a big deal of, despite the fact that we've never seen it, uh, that its tournament never took place in the main show or any of the pay-per-views, <laughs> and uh, that the w winning match was not aired in any way on WCW programming. <laughs> uh, but no, no, in, I thought Malenko was amazing, um, and so was Liger, but I, you know, I I didn't want to give co-MVPs. I just wanted to give it to the white guy. <laughs> <laughs> No, I just Malenko won the match. That gives it the slight edge. Okay. I don't know. Oh, and the flying gutbuster. You know, that's that's both of them doing the move. But I'm going to credit it to the guy who is on offense. Okay. Well, then in that case, I'll give mine to Jushin Thunder Liger. Hooray! For taking the gutbuster without breaking his arm. <laughs> Suck on that, Jerry Lynn. <laughs> uh, and match of the night or segment of the night. No, no surprise here. 
I'm giving that to uh, the Jushin Thunder Liger Dean Malenko match. Um, I'm going to give mine to as a segment, and it's going to be the Ric Flair promo because I'm pretty sure that he is like at least partially in the bag. <laughs> and also when he's talking about flying his Lear jet, he does like the gesture of an airplane and goes, I come in, zoom! <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was just so like yeah. I laughed so much. That's that. good. That's quality. <laughs> in our Raw recap, Mark Marrow defeated the 1-2-3 Kid. Davy Boy Smith defeated Fatu. The Body Donnas beat Techno Team 2000. <laughs> and The Undertaker won over Owen Hart. Well, that, is, that sounds like a pretty decent show. Yeah, no, I didn't watch it, but uh, the card sounds good on paper. In our ratings battle, Raw, uh, running unopposed with Nitro airing an hour early, drew a 4.1. Uh, two weeks in a row where they've done very well. Nitro still struggling to make it in their new time slot. 1.9. Ouch. That is, uh, you know, they're not airing head-to-head, so this is maybe not important, but that is the largest disparity between the two ratings uh, in either direction since the Monday Night Wars mm-hmm. began. I still I still feel like um, for this shifted uh, time slot, I, I don't feel like WCW did a really good job of getting the word out. I agree. Um, so I think that's where they lose a lot of, of the fans. But um, it'll be really interesting to see how this their unimposed hour does once they go to two hours. Right. And, uh, you know, that'll bring me to our news portion. Uh, the Two days after this show aired, so May 8th, 1996, WCW made a major announcement which will have a major impact on our podcast. Starting with the May 27th episode, Nitro is going to be a two-hour long show. Uh, this will allow them to get a you know a start on Raw mm-hmm. to kill Raw in the ratings. It's going to help improve TNT's ratings because they've been airing reruns of Thunder in Paradise in the 7 o'clock slot. Yeah, they don't need that. <laughs> um, it's going to... TNT's then going to pay WCW, and it's not really going to cost WCW that much more money because they're already in the arena. Mm-hmm. You know, they've already got a pretty big talent roster that's not making a lot on TV. So, really, it's not a lot more cost for WCW, and indeed, they're going to be bringing in more money, so it seems like kind of a no-brainer. Uh, the one big concern, of course, would be, do you have the creative momentum to sustain that? Do right. you have programs for your mid-card guys? Do you have a depth of talent that can go... You know, it's not even so much about the talent. Look at... I mean, you can you can easily see the parallel to the three-hour Raw, uh-huh. which is widely considered a horrible move at this point. Yeah. But when it started, a lot of people were like, thank God, they can start giving mid-carters feuds. Uh, the guys that are feuding over the U.S. title can have a reason why they're feuding over the U.S. title. Yep. The reason why three-hour Raw sucks is not that it's three hours, although objectively that kind of sucks for somebody like me that's a dad i don't i don't have three hours every week yeah but but it sucks because they did nothing with that extra hour Mm -hmm. you know so it's it's really the same with nitro if they can do something with that extra hour if they can give the low the guys lower on the card reasons more promos Mm -hmm. i would love people talk about too many promos on on tv nowadays and that's certainly true when it comes to Nitro, you're only getting the same guy as giving promos. Yep. You know, if this gives a chance to give a Eddie Guerrero a promo, great. I'm all for it. Yeah, and also when you talk about the depth of, t- of talent, once they, because I believe at some point they're gonna they're gonna stop lending out these uh, the lower card guys for tours and stuff like that. They have a lot of guys that they could put on the show. I mean, they can. There's, 
I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, they could, like a two-hour show, they could fill it up easily. I mean, they their one-hour show is, I believe, it's like either three or four matches. They could easily do six or seven matches. I mean, not that I'm saying I want to see all their jobbers, but like Cobra and the Cuban Assassin, Cobra's been on Nitro once. Cuban Assassin's never been on Nitro. Mm -hmm. Like those two guys show up, and it's like, oh, yeah, they're on the roster. Ice Train. Mm -hmm. uh, Alex Wright has not been on very much as of late. Yep. And then you watch Saturday Night, and there's like tag teams like Men at Work or the uh, the guys that are State Patrol. Um, <laughs> yes. And like I watched one recently where I forget who it was, but uh, VK, I think it was VK Wall Street was against a guy named like Hard Work Bobby Walker. And that guy's almost definitely a jobber because his name's Hard Work Bobby Walker. <laughs> right. But like... You know, there's plenty of people that we're never seeing, so it's mm -hmm. not like we're necessarily going to be overexposed to the same guys. Yeah. If anything, Nitro currently overexposes the same guys. Yeah. Uh, so, so I am actually looking forward to the two hours. Um, for this podcast, though, it's going to be interesting, and we'll see when we get there. I don't think, and you and I have talked about it a little bit, but I don't think that we're going to be able to provide the same depth of play-by-play. -play. We essentially right now call entire matches play by play move for move yeah and uh to do that weekly you know we were guys with lives and jobs and, and families and everything um it's just not not plausible to devote that much time i can't because we try to record these two at a time i can't watch four hours a week and make mm -hmm. all the notes and everything i need so i don't know exactly what that's going to look like but uh you'll hear it on the 27th we'll still call big spots we'll still talk about every match and every angle we'll still take you through the entire show uh, but it's not going to be as move for move as it is now. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, if it was move for move, I mean, the show would just become, the podcast would just be way too long. Right now, we typically come, like, 20 minutes longer than the show is. <laughs> and I don't think you want to hear us, t I, maybe you do, but I don't think there's many people who want to hear us talk <laughs> about Nitro for two and a half hours every <laughs> single week. Right. Um, if, if, if there are a lot of you, Hey, that's great for my ego. Um, <laughs> but we'd like to, tr we, we want to make sure that the show doesn't go too much longer than it already is, even though we're covering a lot more wrestling every week. Mm -hmm. So, uh, just kind of like WCW's making the announcement. We are also making that announcement. Uh, in other wrestling news, there were reports on May 7th, uh, that the federal trade commission is looking into holding up the Turner time Warner merger. Uh, because of the effect that it could have on cable television with too many networks being owned by one conglomerate. Okay. Uh, it's believed that it will still go through, but it's being just kind of held up for more investigation. They may have to drop some of their assets, certain channels to other companies to, to be under the size that they need to be in order to not be like a monopoly or, or whatever. But uh, So that's in the news. And also, uh, a little guy named Dwayne Johnson, the son of the former WWF tag team champion Rocky Johnson, was signed to a developmental deal by the WWF. Hmm. However, I personally am much more excited by the signing of another type top prospect who just signed with WWF. Uh, his name is Barry Buchanan, but you will know him as Bull Buchanan. Oh. So between those two guys, I see one of them going places. <laughs> That's a really weak joke. I was like really excited when I wrote that, and then having delivered it now, I feel really stupid. <laughs> anyway, The Rock and Bull Buchanan just signed developmental deals, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> The rock. Well, I mean, like, Bobby Cannon eventually becomes B-squared. I was not watching in that uh, era at all, so well, I've I mean, heard of that, but I've never seen it. It was on SmackDown. I didn't really see much of it. Anyway, uh, any other thoughts on Nitro this week before uh, we close up shop? Um, I don't, I don't feel like it was 
as terrible of a drop off as they typically have after really great episodes. They did have, I mean, they had a top ten match of all the nitros we've watched so far. Yeah. So it, you, like, no matter what, it couldn't be considered a bad show. Yeah. And also, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not digging this like. Lex Luger's an idiot storyline. <laughs> I disagree. I'm fully on board with the Lex Luger's an idiot storyline. Although I like the idea that 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 uh, the announcers are becoming more fond of him, yeah. the more that he fucks up. <laughs> He's turned from like shady opportunist to lovable idiot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we will see what that rascal gets up to next week, right here where the big boys play twenty years. Of Nitro. You know, in my opinion, uh, what happened there was uh, she was flustered at the idea of Mr. Flair giving her champagne. Probably never had champagne, and she her hand got a shaky. She spilled it. I don't think she poured it out. You know what, killer? Now I'm trying to contain myself here, but you better shut up and mind your own business. Easy, Steve.